PerformerStuff.com presents In the Holding Room with Christian Abbott. Hi, everyone. I'm Christian Abbott, and welcome to In the Holding Room, the place that you have to go before you head into the audition room. Thanks for joining me today because we have an amazing episode, but not only is today's episode amazing, all of them are, but this entire month is Princess Month here in the Holding Room. Each week we have dedicated an episode to a leading lady of Broadway who has performed a role as a princess. What a great theme you say, but you may have heard back in May the announcement of Disney Princess The Concert featuring some phenomenal talent. We're talking about Susan Egan, Laura Osnes, Aisha Jackson, Courtney Reed. They are heading out on an 84 city tour to perform an incredible concert with some of your favorite songs and some of your favorite stories. And they're all gonna be appearing here in the holding room. So you're not gonna wanna miss the incredible talent, the amazing story and the amazing insights that these women have to offer. Now they've all performed princess roles on Broadway, but that's just one role in their incredible careers. So you are not going to want to miss anything that these women have to say. Make sure you're subscribing, make sure you're tuning in every Wednesday, and make sure you're sharing these episodes with your friends because they're going to be truly inspirational and truly insightful. So thanks for joining me in the holding room. I'll be right back with our first guest. Performer Stuff was created to meet the needs of folks just like you performers, educators, and professionals in the entertainment industry. At Performer Stuff, you can search our online store for monologues and music for your next audition or to use in your classroom. On our More Good Stuff blog, you can access hundreds of articles and how-to lists created just for you by industry professionals. There are dance and voice classes and workshops at PS Academy. Plus, you can download podcasts and shows just like this one, featuring performers and entertainment pros from around the world. Basically, it's an online community just for you. So check out the website at performerstuff.com or follow us on social media. Our guest today in the holding room needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I want you to know the value of her experience and of her opinion and the stories that she's about to tell. Now, she has made a powerful impression in theater, music, television, and film. She received Tony Award and Drama Desk nominations as the original Belle in Disney's Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. She headlined in Thoroughly Modern Millie. She won critical acclaim as Sally Bowles in Cabaret. She created roles in Triumph of Love and State Fair. She starred opposite Carol Burnett in Putting It Together and Tommy Toon in Bye Bye Birdie. She has over 400 solo concert credits. She's performed with over 50 symphonies around the world at places like the Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, and the Hollywood Bowl. She has over 40 recording credits, as well as seven solo albums. And this is just part of her resume. Huge TV shows, major feature films, and she has an incredible background in education and master classes. We are thrilled to welcome in the holding room, the phenomenal Susan Egan. Susan Egan, it is wonderful to be speaking to you today. How you doing? I am 
so good, Christian. I feel like, oh, I feel so um, lucky that because of this technology that you and I are getting to connect. It's been a moment. It has been a moment. Yeah, it's so great to see you again. And and I know this episode is airing on June 5th, but we're recording on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. But also, <laughs> hey, a huge congratulations for Disney Princess, the concert. You're all over the media, all over the news. So congratulations on the announcement of your show. Thank you so much. It is a thrill. Um, we're we're part of a much bigger program called the Ultimate Princess Celebration, where um, the princess franchise at Disney is is taking those, you know, ladies that we all look up to and really focusing on their courage and kindness. And it's so timely. And uh, we're just really excited to get to sing some of that music and travel around the country. More than eighty four cities yeah. coming up. Man, and, and to, to accomplish all of that during this year, I can only imagine what a struggle and what a monumental feat it has to overcome everything and get this tour up and running and announced. And it's yes, correct. you know, you and I have talked about this just as friends over the years, but um, this career is not a a direct line. You know, your path in this career is always jagged and changing. And I find that the people who can be flexible and pivot um, tend to find opportunities where other people might not see them. And never has that been more true than during COVID. So you're right. Yes, there were a lot of challenges putting this together, but also I was really grateful to have this project to put together because it took a year um, with all of our wonderful creatives at Disney to put the show together and, and um, make the concert that we're now going to tour. And thankfully, we were able to do that over Zoom. And so it kind of kept us sane during a time when there were just no performances. Yeah, we on this show, we have talked about keeping our mental health and keeping positive and finding those creative outlets and, you know, finding them where you can and finding people that you can confide in and trust and be yourself around and come up with your own creative outlets. And man, I mean, you took it a huge leap further than what, <laughs> than that. So. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's many years in coming. Do you know, I feel like, um, first of all, you're hundred percent, right. You need to find that support group who that chosen family is, right? Sometimes it's your actual family, but sometimes it's the people that you find um, that you're surrounding yourself with in, in your life. And those people have kept us afloat during COVID for sure. Um, and will continue to do so in your career. But I also feel like creative minds um, have opportunities because we do think outside the box. We're, we're all, all the people on this podcast and everybody listening, you guys are innately creative thinkers. And so this is that time where it's really an opportunity to put that um, into practice. Uh, think of all those poor muggles, as we call them, who have the ordinary life that might not be able to think as creatively as we can. And so we do have this opportunity to pivot. And the technology has been really, really helpful uh, to make that happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a challenge, but um, but also an exciting opportunity. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the show. But I, I of course, you're in the holding room with me. You're a about to head into the audition room because in the holding room is where you go before you head into the audition. <laughs> and I, I would love for you to take us back to an early part of your career, um, maybe one of your first professional shows, your first equity gigs. And, and what show was that? And what was that audition experience like for you? It's so interesting. It's such a good question. Um, first of all, I want to say when you're in the holding room, you are still auditioning. So I wanna say that to everybody, and I talk about this in masterclasses, 
don't turn it on when you walk through that door. That person who's signing you in, who's taking your headshot, who, you know, is frazzled that day trying to keep actors happy in that holding room and keep their, you know, producers on schedule. Be kind to that person. That person today might be signing you in, but I'm telling you in five minutes, they'll be producing the Broadway show and they will remember if you were unkind to them. If they drop all the headshots, be the person to help them pick them up. So just know that you have opportunities um, at every aspect of an audition. I feel like actors often feel powerless, like, oh, they're at the mercy of things. And you sometimes are. Maybe you look like the producer's niece and that's going to get you the job or that's going to not get you the job because they hate their niece. <laughs> Those kinds of things you cannot control and you can focus on them or you can let them go going, I can't control that. What can I control? I can control um, what I chose to wear that day and whether, you know, I'm going to dress in my ripped jeans and T-shirt if I'm going out for rent, but I'm not going to wear that if I'm going out for Oklahoma. Like, be thoughtful. They notice that. How is your sheet music organized? And again, how do you treat everybody? And it starts with how you treat your fellow actors in the room, how you treat that person who's manning the table. They will notice. They will notice. So there's that now taking you back. I think I thought it would be more hectic the higher up I went. And by that, I mean, I had these back-to-back auditions. One of them was for a kind of lowly producer in a community theater that had a few equity contracts. And then like two weeks later, I had an audition for Tommy Toon. And I thought, oh, Tommy Toon, I'm going to be so nervous for that. And you know, it was interesting. The people who are really good at what they do, they know that you might be the solution to their problem. And they're going to do everything in their power to put you at ease. Auditioning is an imperfect situation. Producers don't like it. Actors don't like it. We just haven't come up with a better way to cast a show. But they're not interested in you failing. Then they fail. They're interested in you being amazing and being the solution to their problem. And if you harness into that, and that's what Tommy Toon was like, he could not have been more gracious and wonderful. Sometimes people who aren't as professional, like I'm going to, you know, this person who will go unnamed (laughs) in this community theater audition, for him, it was a power trip. Ah. For him, his parents had bought him the theater. For him, it was about making you feel small. And I was very young. I was, you know, 19, 20. And, um, you know, he was like, do you have a different lipstick? And I'm eager to please. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. And I'm digging in my bag. He's like, oh, can you do that song again? And this time take the stage. Well, here's the thing, Christian. At 51, I would look at that person and say, take it where? Where do you want me to take it? You know, and I would make light of it and be funny about it, but also say like, I don't, you're not saying anything real. You're not saying anything constructive. Um, as opposed to a Tommy Toon who would have given me direction. Oh, you know, this time let's perform the song as if um, you just rushed into it. Like he would give you something to act. And this other person just didn't. And I was so nervous and it was not a good audition. And I walked out um, kind of beating myself up. And if I could go back and talk to that girl, I would say, that's not on you. You were prepared. You did everything you needed to do. And those days are going to happen. You're going to encounter those people. Don't let that, you know, be that flexible um, bamboo stock. Don't be the oak that's going to get crashing, you know, down, like be flexible and know when you walk out that, that that's not on you. 
and that pat yourself on the back and it's okay. That's where you talk about the mental health. Yeah. And then it was so lovely to just realize that people who are really good at what they do, the really good New York casting directors, the producers, the directors, you are still going to be nervous. But if you walk in knowing they want what's best for you genuinely, it makes it a little easier. Absolutely. You're, you're so right on so many points. And I hope those who are listening are taking notes of that and reflecting on that and, and using that as a source of inspiration to, to go in and don't, don't worry about somebody who's on a power trip and it, it, just pat yourself on the back and do the best you can be as prepared as you can. And let's, let's talk a little bit about being prepared. I mean, you went on to perform the role of Kim and Bye Bye Birdie with Tommy Toon for Tommy Toon. So did you know you were up for that role when you went to the audition or was that an open call or? Actually, that's such a good question and a funny story. Okay. I had done a community theater production of No, No, Nanette. And, um, and the director of that show, her agent came, I was 18 and, um, and he saw the show and, uh, you know, asked what I wanted to do. I was in college. I'm like, oh gosh, I mean, I'd love to do some summer theater maybe. And, and a production of No, No, Nanette was being produced at the St. Louis Muni. And this is to answer your question. This is how I got my equity card. And Paul Blake, a really wonderful producer, was not interested in finding a 40-year-old woman to play Nanette. Like he wanted somebody age appropriate, which is kind of marvelous. And had been talking to um, my agent and to Terry Ralston, the director of the No-No Nanette, saying, hey, do you know anybody? And, and they said, we just did a production of it. And there's this girl, Susan Egan, she's still a teenager. Um, and she, she was really, you know, sweet in the role. So I got the audition for that show and I had just done it. Like what a, what a great opportunity. And I walked into that audition and I sang my song from Nanette and um, I read the scenes. It was fresh because I had just done it. And then as I was walking out of the room, Paul said, Hey, do you know Bye Bye Birdie? Cause we're also doing Bye Bye Birdie this summer. And that is Christian where you never know how the path is going to veer. I was there for no, 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 net. But again, you know, the answer is always, yes, I know Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had done Bye Bye Birdie and I was in the ensemble when I was in junior high. But I did basically know the song, How Lovely to Be a Woman. I'm like, oh, I, yes, yes. I mean, I knew the melody and I thought if I can look at the script, I can sing it. And and I ended up getting cast as both Kim McAfee and, and Nanette for that summer. And I got my equity card at the St. Louis Muni. It was amazing. And then I didn't realize that Bye Bye Birdie was going to start Tommy Toon and Anne Ryan King. Oh, may she rest in peace. She's amazing. Um, and she and they. I didn't understand why they were doing summer stock. I, I was in college and I thought this man has nine Tony Awards and he's doing summer stock. Like maybe this is a terrible career choice. But actually what he was doing was he was testing the show out to see if it was a good vehicle for him. And indeed it was. They they could um, redesign it a little bit from the Dick Van Dyke kind of character into more of a Tommy Toon character. They made put on a happy face into a tap dance. It was, it was lovely. And um, we did it that summer. And the following year, he called me in my dorm room and said, I think I'm going to take this on tour. And I wonder if you might fly yourself to New York because we have a new director. And that's the audition I was just talking about where I got to audition for Tommy because I'd never auditioned for Tommy before. It was just Paul Blake. Um, and Gene Sachs, who is the director who directed every Neil Simon play there was like, this is the king of comedy right here. And um, and that same week, I had auditioned for a different sort of like community theater production 
of, um, of a show and just back to back. I'm like, wow, it was such a testament, but that's, that was my big break was bye bye birdie. And, you know, being willing to say yes and throw myself into something that I had not prepared for in that audition. And, you know, he wasn't looking for perfection. He was looking for open-mindedness and willingness and somebody who's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know, that's who a director really wants. Um, you know, he knew I hadn't prepared that and I could have been like, well, I haven't prepared for that. You know, I mean, like, then you're like, who wants to work with that person? Do you know? Yeah. So yeah, you just, you never know what you're going to, what you're going to get. Another example is I was auditioning in New York for, there's a club called Rainbow and Stars at the top of um, Rockefeller Center. And they were doing a learner and low review. So that's like Camelot, that's um, My Fair Lady. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I could do those shows. So I went prepared for that. And this casting director who was casting that said, can you do a a Judy Garland impersonation? And of course the answer is always yes. So I'm like, you know, what a wonderful idea. Like I'm just doing my best idea of a Judy Garland impersonation. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is going to be the worst learner in low review ever. But of course, he wasn't asking for that. Like, I was already not right for the review that he was casting. But he's a casting director. He can't make a living casting one show. He has 40 projects in his head. And he's looking at me going, well, she's not right for this, but she kind of looks like the girl who originated this other role. And we're doing this play in Chicago. And I wonder if she might be able to do it. It was a play called The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, where a girl impersonates all these famous people. And so again, it's that you walk in the room prepared with what you think they're going to want. And then, and then you surf the wave. If you think about surfing as an art form and you could resist the wave that you're given, but we all know how that's going to work out. Or the art form is like, well, this is the wave that's headed my way. I'm going to carve an amazing path in this wave. Like that's what I'm going to do. And and honestly, life is just more fun when you look at it that way. What a great analogy. Yeah, surf the wave, go in prepared, you know, and just, just like you would go into the ocean, you go into the ocean, you know, with, with everything that you need, all the tools, the mindset, you, you enter the room, you enter the wave, and then you, you go where it takes you. That's right. Like, well, that's not the wave I thought I was going to surf, but it's like, but you know how to surf, you know how to sing a song, you know how to act. Yeah. You have all that. That's all at your disposal in any way, shape, and form. So now just go on the ride. People want companions on the ride, and it's so much more fun than, than like, this is what I'm doing, and my head's to the grindstone. I'll say this, too. So then, you know, I'm living in New York, and I get Beauty and the Beast, and it's a long-running show. And that casting director, that was an audition I almost didn't go to, by the way. So that's another thing to say of, like, don't edit yourself. People are going to tell you what you're good at and what you're not good at anyway. Don't be one of them, <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Don't be one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, one. Belle was described as the most beautiful girl in the village. And I'm not, like I had spiky red hair. If they were auditioning for Peter Pan, I would have been like, yeah, I'm that girl. I am not Belle at all. Um, but my age was like, you've never met that casting director. Just go in, you have no idea. And it was Jay Bender and he changed my life. Well, Jay was also great because I was in this long running show and you get a little stale and you get a little, you know, he's like, Susan, why don't you just come by during the day? I'm casting Showboat, a revival of Showboat. He's like, why don't you just be the reader? And you can just sit behind the table with us. And as the actors come in, you can read all the scenes with them and you'll, you'll get to play every role. It'll be fun. And it'll just kind of get you out of your, your rut. 
And that was a master's degree in auditioning. I'd never sat on that side. And Christian, I was watching people who were famous to me walk in this room with giant baggage (laughs) and things weighing them down. And I really got to, I had always been told this, but I got to experience it firsthand. The people behind the table wanted the person to walk in the door to be amazing. And so many people came in with such a chip on their shoulder that even though they were brilliantly talented, they were uncastable. And I thought they did that to themselves. Like they really didn't need to do that. I watched people be rude to the accompanist. And I thought, are you insane? That's like getting on a lifeboat and like slapping the lifeboat operator. And you're on a cruise ship. You know what I'm talking about with this, Christian. Like you don't, you don't kick the captain. Like that person's saving your life. Like I'd, if that accompanist butchers your, if you come in with clean music and that accompanist butchers your audition, do you think the people behind the table don't know that already? They don't need you to comment on it or roll your eyes. What you should do is go up and say, thank you so much. That was perfect. Smile to the people behind the table. Thank you so much for your time and be a class act. And if you are not a class act, you are an actor. So pretend to be a class act. <laughs> so they're looking I, to hire somebody that they want to work with. They don't want to yes, work with jerks. They don't want to work with yes. egomaniacs. That's right. At a certain point, you're going to get to a point in your career where everybody who walks in the room can hit the note. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. So why are you going to get the job? Well, we can talk about interpreting a lyric because I think that's a big part of it. A lot of people have great voices. Not everybody can interpret a lyric. But what it really comes down to is they're going to get to pick 20 people to be their family for the next five years of this hit show that they're producing. They don't want a problem child. Please don't be a 14 year old teenager walking in that room. Please be the gracious person. Who's like, thank you so much for your time because these people are investing millions of dollars so let's say it's a 20 million dollar show and there's 20 people in the cast that's a million dollars that you are representing on that stage be worthy of it be responsible with it that's what they want that's great thank you let's um <laughs> let's 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 break down your your Beauty and the Beast auditions since you just brought it up. So you 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 weren't editing yourself. You didn't feel like you were right for the role. When you went in to sing for Belle, what song did you sing? Okay. I really didn't want to go to that audition. Um, I had never seen the movie. So I had seen The Little Mermaid, though. And it's so funny because now Jody's one of my best friends. But at the time, I thought it was Liz Calloway who had voiced Ariel because they sound a lot alike. Um, And I just like, okay, I'll go in. But I think it's a I was such a Sondheim snob. I'm like, it's a terrible idea to put a cartoon on stage. Can you even imagine? Who am I to even have any of those thoughts? I'm an idiot. Anyway, thank goodness I went because it changed my life and it's still changing my life. But I wasn't stupid about it. I thought, well, they clearly like Liz Calloway's voice (laughs) or at least somebody who sounds like Liz Calloway. So I sang a Liz Calloway song. I sang a song called The Story Goes On from Baby, which if you were looking at it, it's about a pregnant unmarried woman, which is not Belle. So you would think about that. But really, it's about hope and excitement and the adventure in the great wide somewhere. Do you know? Um, And. And I could capture that sound 
that Lizzie Calloway impersonation that I did. And, and it worked. It was the sound that they wanted. I happened to, I had, I had been out of town for a couple months with a, with a regional theater show. So when I was in town, I was at the very last first audition for Bell. Um, they had already seen lots and lots of ladies and I'm big into research, but in this case, not having seen the movie worked to my advantage because Paige O'Hare and I are innately very similar. So nothing that I did was a betrayal to her magnificent rendition in the movie, but the play had an hour more material in the movie. And I think a lot of girls showed up in a blue dress with a brown ponytail and did their best page impersonation, which, sure. and I say this in master classes too, like anybody who's singing popular, I'm like, stop being Kristen Chenoweth because nobody can be Kristen Chenoweth as well as Kristen Chenoweth. If you want to honor what Kristen so brilliantly did, be authentically you. That's how you can honor her. Um, and I think because I hadn't seen Paige's performance, I'm not gonna make choices that are so drastically different, but I think also because there was a lot of new material, um, I was drawing from a well that was deep because I was drawing from myself. I wasn't like, oh, I know what to do in this scene because I saw it in the movie and I don't really know what to do in this scene because it wasn't in the movie. Mm -hmm. That never became a thing. I also think, and I, I was talking to Rob, you know, to directors and, and creatives later, but um, I think they didn't know it could be done in any or different way. You know, I was taking clues from the sides, which is Papa, do you think I'm odd? So I'm like, well, she must be odd. If the whole town is calling her odd, maybe she's odd. And so I did like a funny little joke with Papa in that scene where I like crossed my eyes. Now, ultimately that's not a choice I would make in that scene because now I understand it more. But at the time it got a big laugh behind the table. And I think it just, it was just new. It was just like they'd seen a thousand girls do the same choice. And ultimately that worked to my advantage. And, and, and also because of that, as they were writing new material, they wrote moments that were appropriate for Belle to be funny. Um, they wrote a new proposal song that Gaston proposes to Belle. And I got to be ridiculous in that song, which was such a joy because I don't particularly like being an ingenue. I like, I want to be Miss Adelaide, but I grew up to look like Sarah Brown. So it's like, darn, I want to get to be silly. Um, and so that was the first audition and I got called back and the callback was three days in a row. The first day was working with the director, the choreographer, the musical director. The last day was all the Disney executives, Christian. It was, we were at the John Hausman Theater, a little off-Broadway theater on 42nd Street. And Michael Eisner was there. Jeffrey Katzenberg was there. Um, all the heads of the parks entertainment, because that's who was sort of heading up the Broadway division at that point, because they didn't have a Broadway division yeah. yet. Um, like 40 people with little Mickey Mouse pins on their lapels. But I didn't know who they were. There was like a guy vaguely in the back who looked like David Letterman to me. And that was Eisner. I'm like, I didn't know who that was. <laughs> But the second day in between those two days, I had to sing for Alan Menken. And that was at 890 Studios. And I remember walking in the room and seeing him behind the table. And Little Shop of Horrors is my favorite musical of all time to this date. I was obsessed with Alan Menken. I have no recollection of what happened in that room. I remember about five minutes later, I exited. And I got past it. I must have done something decent because I got to the third day. And not everybody did, but I got to the third day. Um, but to this day, I have no idea what I did in that room. I, that was where I was like on automatic. And I had rehearsed it so much that like just 
cell memory took over, muscle memory took over. Good. Well, that's great. I mean, like you have like corporate titans and, you know, people who are, who would later be credited with redefining Broadway and 42nd oh. Street, you know, with Disney's, you know, Completely. acquisition of the, the deal. Yeah, Eisner's deal Corporate with Titans, Broadway. Broadway royalty. Who are you going to be nervous for? <laughs> Broadway royalty. For me, yes. I was not a businesswoman yet, yeah. you know. Um, but also, I did give other thought to things, you know, with that initial audition. Um, I thought to myself, everyone's going to show up in a blue dress with a brown ponytail. Um, everyone's going to sing an Alan Menken Disney song. You know, I'm like, what do they need to know? Now, I had short, spiky red hair, but I had just toured with Bye Bye Birdie and I had a fall, which is like a half wig that was, you know, long and it matched my bangs. So I could wear like a headband and this fall that went down to my waist and these little bangs, which sort of looks like Alice in Wonderland. So I'm like, so I'll look Disney, Disney, yeah. but I won't look like Belle. Yeah. So I'll look different than everybody else. I didn't wear a blue dress. I wore a red dress, but it was a little Laura Ashley dress that was modern, but lent itself to the time period, right? Love it. So it hinted without being a costume. And um, yeah, and and then I like, well, I guess that's my lucky dress. So I wore it for all those three days in a row later. I'm like, that that dress could have sung the song on its own after all the sweat I had in that dress for those three days. So, speaking of sweat, what about, uh, was there a dance audition? Because you, I mean, no. the kick line that you, no. Yes, no, there Come wasn't a, a dance audition. They didn't think of Belle as dancing. Um, but uh, I guess the best story about this audition was that third day with all the executives. I was there at nine in the morning and I was there till five at night. And there were lots of Bells to begin with and then they whittled it down to just me. But I didn't take that as a sign that I'd gotten it because I had just gone through an audition where I was kept all day because they're like, hey, are you busy? And they kept me around as a reader and I didn't get the job. So I'm like, oh gosh, okay. So you you have no idea. And I was super nervous. And so I was just sitting in a corner and in between each time I read, I was just reading a book. And Jay Bender told me later, he's like, I knew you were the bell because you were the girl in the corner reading a book. <laughs> like, oh God, <laughs> of course, who knew? That's just how I stayed centered. But the great news was, is that I got to read with all the Gastons and all the beasts. And um, it ended at five o'clock. I went home and just about passed out. Um, and they all went and got dinner and then start a, started a meeting. And about, um, you know, they started like at seven o'clock determining who they were going to cast. Well, eight o'clock, I got a phone call from my agent saying, you got the job. And the director and choreographer want to know if they can call you up right now. And I'm like, oh, I was dying because I was so exhausted. I was just relieved at that point. My agent was more excited because I was just exhausted. But anyway, the director of choreographer called up and um, and they told me the story. They said, so we went to dinner and we came back because I immediately asked who got Gaston, who got the beast, who, who else is in the show? And they told me everybody. And they said, you know, this was the amazing thing. We had over 40, 45 people making this decision. We went to dinner, we decided who we we all wanted, and then we came back ready to fight. And we started with Belle. Okay, who do you want as Belle? And it was unanimous. It was Susan Eaton. Who do we want as the Beast? Unanimous, Terrence Mann. Who do we want as Gaston? Unanimous. Every single character in the show was unanimous. He's like, Susan, we cast it in five minutes. Whoa. In five minutes, we called everybody's agents, and it's eight o'clock. We started deliberating an hour ago. It's eight o'clock, and we're talking to you. 
So then Matt, the choreographer is like, Susan, I know that you dance like and be our guest. Do you want to sit at the table and have them perform to you? Or do you want to be in the dance? I'm like, I want to be in the dance, which Carrie Butler hated me for later. And she told me because she she's like she auditioned for that show um, after the initial company. And it took her two or three auditions to get the dance down. And then ultimately, of course, she was cast and played the role forever in a day and originated it in Canada and has done a million things since then. But she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not her favorite part. I mean, the sh- not her favorite part. <laughs> we did the kick line for over a year on Broadway. And then again in LA, I'm sure at the end of it, you're like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> no. no, it was good. It keeps me honest. And also, you know, those dance, I was the worst dancer in that kick line. Those dancers are so talented and, and it's a joke, but not a joke. I could never have gotten into the ensemble of that show or the ensemble of any show on Broadway. Like I had to be the lead because I am not good enough to be in the ensemble. That's really interesting. I, uh, I can get by as a dancer. I certainly took a lot of dance. um, And for musical theater, like I can pass and I'm flexible, but I am not diva. Like I am not diva. Like, like those ladies are. But that's a, it's a great point. I mean, to be a well-rounded performer. I mean, I I love that you just said that you, you wouldn't have gotten into the ensemble, but you look at the other roles that you've played and, you know, thoroughly modern Millie and Sally Bowles and cabaret and bell and be like, you've had to be able to dance. You can't just rest. That's where I have to do my homework voice. You, no, I you mean, have to do it all. I've studied a lot of dance. So for instance, in cabaret, because I could dance, Rob Marshall re-choreographed it. But you look at the choreography in cabaret and it's not like diva ballet turnout. I mean, it's harsh and gritty and those characters are not dancers, you know. So I can pick up steps and I could do all that kind of stuff. And Rob had a good time because he was open to the idea of Sally doing a little bit more than the character had done previously. Um, in Thoroughly Modern Millie, I, I am not, Sutton is a dancer. She is a diva dancer with major point and extension. And she's been tapping since she was, you know, came out of the womb tapping. Um, I, I had a lot of ballet, but not a lot of tap. I had done some tap shows. And so I just had to sit in a room with the dance captain alone for a week to get those steps and just, I just drilled them. The great thing about tap is there's only eight steps and they're just in different combinations. But I mean, it was choreographed on Sutton. So, and I had to make every tap sound she made. Like there was no joke about that. There was no cheating that. Um, So like the typewriter tapping, uh, you know, I just, I had to drill it. It's not a natural thing for me. I had to drill it. Yeah, but that's great. I mean, the rehearsals don't always end when rehearsals finish. You go home and you keep doing it. You come in early, you stay later. And, you know, like you have to, you have to be a well-rounded performer if you want to stay in the craft. I mean, I wasn't a well-rounded performer. I was an acrobat and a dancer, and I had to pivot later on in my career because I could no longer do that after a while. But I got to become a stage manager and stay in theater. But for those, you know, those young performers who are just singers, well, I mean, it's hard because um, it's also a budget problem. Back in the old days, there were two ensembles. There was the dance. Court of Ballet, if you think about Carousel. And then there was a singing chorus. And now we can't afford that many actors. So you kind of have to do everything. And like I say, I can get through a dance audition. Um, And so for a lead, I dance really well. (laughs) But 
um, but it's really, really true. And, and then I work with a lot of dancers who then have to pivot and be able to get through that. What 16 bars are they going to do? Like they, that's the part that they dread, do you yeah. know? Um, and you don't have to be amazing at all of them, but the better you are at each thing, the more thing in your bag of tricks, uh, the more castable you are. Now there are shows, you know, you can do Sunny in the Park with George. You can do, right. you know, all kinds of shows that don't have dancing, but is that going to help your bread? And that's eliminating 50% of the musicals. Yeah. You know, you want to be as castable as, as, as you can be. Yeah. And I, let's, you, you, you discussed a few things that I want to kind of circle back on and highlight when we talk about your audition for Beauty and the Beast, you sang a song that you could embody. You sang a song of hope. You sang what uh, the story goes on from baby. And I like how you, you mentioned, you know, what the song is actually about. Right. And, and, and getting to that, maybe not taking the song literally about a pregnant woman. No, it's yes. about, it's a song about hope. And that's why I sang it. And that's what I could embody. And I think choosing a song with that in mind is incredibly important. Then you also mentioned, you know, wearing your fall and putting your bangs out um, and, and giving yourself a nod to the character, but not being in costume. And that's I, right. I, lo I love that point. And this has been a big debate on the show. You wore the same thing three days in a row. I did. Some people say, you know what? Casting directors are very talented. They're, you know, their, their careers are built on remembering talent. You don't need to do that. As a person who danced in the ensemble and went to a lot of open and cattle calls, I felt it was important to wear the same thing. Because <laughs> that's what they're recognizing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Make their job easier. Yep. It's that simple. Make their job easier. That girl in the red dress, where's that girl in the red dress? Well, if I'm in, you know, orange today or I'm in blue today, they're not going to find the girl in the red dress. Like they're going to recognize that dress. If it worked, like if it ain't broke, like, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, Obviously, if you ran into problems with that outfit, then when you get called back, you switch it up. But make their job easy. Make it easy for them to say yes to you. What can I do? And there's so many things in your power. And, and again, actors can be very defeatist sometimes. Um, well, you know, I just, you know, it's not up to me and whatever. So more is up to you than isn't up to you. So why would you give the power away on the things you can control like that? So I'm a big believer in like make their job easy. And if that means the same dress, unless they've asked for something different. Yeah. yeah. And then also when you were auditioning and you were reading the sides, you know, you mentioned that you crossed your eyes and you made a, you know, made a, well, what I heard was you made a silly choice. You made a choice and you gave the casting directors and directors something to work with and a little spark of, hey, she's willing to take a risk and we can experiment on that. And we can experiment yeah. with her as an actress. And I, I think those are all qualities that, you know, inevitably led for you to land this incredible role and, you know, and, and carry the weight of that show. And luckily you didn't know who all those people were at the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. because when you think of Disney theatricals first starting and the amount that they invested into this, you know, to get, you and know. it was not a guaranteed hit. Like it could have been a big egg. Like we could have just, it could have been terrible. Now it's a foregone conclusion that Disney's on Broadway, but they'd never done it before. And they didn't follow any of the rules. They did things totally differently than all the other producers. 
And um, because yeah. for the same reason, you almost didn't go to the audition because there was a lot of theatrical people who went, you shouldn't be putting cartoons on stage. I mean, a lot of us thought that when we heard that Beauty and the Beast was going to the Broadway. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, there you go. You get incredible talent, phenomenal creative team and a, a, a backing team that believes in it. And boom, you have a whole new production company and a whole new industry. And I mean, to work with who you worked with on that production uh, at that point in your career, like, you know, working with Terrence Mann and those careers. Oh, Javert and Les oh. Mis. I mean, I was beside myself. I, so, I, I was more nervous for that than, than again, Eisner or any of those people. It was like Terrence Mann, he was Rum Tum Tugger. Like, oh and As my a male God. dancer, that's what, you know, I was like, oh, Rum Tum Tuggers and Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And totally, I go, it's basically the same costume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what, what's, I'll ask you a question and you can take it, I'll, I'll frame it two different ways, however you want to take it. What's the best advice about auditions you've ever received or what do you wish you could go back and tell your younger self mm. or both? Okay. So the best advice I received honestly was, was Jay Bender. Like I, I talked to Jay Bender, you know, after I got cast in Beauty and the Beast, I go really what I was thinking about doing was moving to New York and applying to Juilliard. And he's like, don't, don't do that. Not that Juilliard isn't amazing. It is amazing, but he's like, you know, they're going to, they're going to break you down and then turn you into their version of something. And clearly your version of you is working. And I think the hardest thing, the irony is this, we get into this business to not be us. The last person I want to be is Susan. I want to wear a wig, have a proscenium, jump into somebody else's life for a couple hours and maybe get paid for it. Like, I, and yet the irony is you have to be yourself in every role. Now I'm not Sally Bowles. I'm hopefully not a drug addict, you know, and making terrible choices in my life. But you do have to draw from yourself. If I were in that situation with those limitations, with this addiction, what would I do? And I know the decision she has to make because the script is telling me what kind of emotional place do I have to be in to justify making that decision? I, I can only draw from myself. And so again, it goes back to when I work with students, you have to, you are the most interesting thing in your performance. Everything else is two-dimensional. The only thing that isn't two-dimensional is you. You're deep. There's so much depth to mine from you. And again, the irony is the more specific you make a character to you, the more universal the appeal will be. Yeah. I, I haven't been able to articulate exactly why, but when I started doing like my club act, a lot of people can string some songs together and they sound lovely. But what makes a club act interesting is if you walk away feeling you got to know that person, right? If I go see Eartha Kitt, I want to hear about Catwoman. I want to hear everything. I want to feel like I'm hanging out with my best friend, Eartha Kitt, <laughs> who I don't know, but I love her. Um, and that's what you bring into the room, even when you're in character. You want to feel like when you leave that they just got to know Belle and that Belle just happens to be Susan. And like what makes, and this is where everybody who walks in the room can hit the note. So what makes you different? If you bring yourself to it, there will be a depth and an authenticity to your performance that they can't even pinpoint. And it will be because you brought yourself to it.
And it won't betray the character because you're still saying that character's lines. You're still making the decisions the script dictates, but there will be a depth to it as opposed to a presentational element to it that will get you the job if it's a good director. And if you don't get the job because it's a crappy director, then you don't want to work with a crappy director. It just keeps you available for the job with a good director that's coming up next. <laughs> that's great. You, yeah. Um, I just want to, I'm glad you brought up your concert and your cabaret because a lot of times a, a great way of being seen for a young performer is either their concerts at their college or cabaret concert work, you know, for their friends or with their friends. And you can, you can be seen that way. When you step out on stage uh, at your concerts, are you a character? Do you, I mean, you are very vulnerable on stage. You tell your story and the audience rewards you for it at the end of the show. I've been there. And it's, it's so great that you're so vulnerable and tell these amazing stories about your personal life. But, you know, is there a, stepping out as yourself and not hiding behind a character can be very nerve wracking and intimidating for young performers to be that vulnerable. It what was, advice do you have when you're just yourself? Great. It's, it was at first. Okay. Um, because again, I, I had to do it. I was doing it as a fundraiser for my school. This is 25 years ago. Right. And I didn't want to do an, a, a concert of Susan stuff. Do you know? Um, so the best thing you can do is what are those great stories that you tell to your best friends over cocktails? That's what you tell. Yeah. That's what you tell on stage. You tell the story about how you're, you're living in West Hollywood, which is the center of the gay universe. And, you know, your fiance, Robert goes to the gym and all these men are trying to pick up on him and he can't figure out why. And it's because he didn't take his Yankees ball cap with him. He took my, you know, life is the cabaret hat. And so they just assumed, you know, they're asking him things like, do you love Liza Minnelli? And he's like, I, I yeah. And, and so anyway, so you tell these stories that are ridiculous and funny and you, and you pair it with a song, you find, you know, the song that is out of context, right? It's what you said before, Christian, even in an audition, you might sing a song in context to the story of the musical that that song came from, but you can also lift it completely out of that and put it in its own context as, as it, the way it would lend itself to the, the show you're actually auditioning for, right? Same thing in a cabaret act. So, um, so you, you get good at telling these stories because you've told them already many times to your family. It's that terrible audition story. Krista Rodriguez tells a great audition story when she, she just wanted to be in Spring Awakening and she finally got the audition and it was pouring rain and she's running to the subway and she falls and she slides and then the door slams on her. She gets a bloody nose, but she's going to this audition and she walks in the room and they're like, oh my God, what happened to you? And she books the gig because it's because she was interesting because she was amazing anyway, but thank goodness all that happened because, because that's, you know, those are the stories. And she tells that story of her cocktails and that's the story she tells on stage. So that's the first thing you do that's great. Is when putting together an act, because you being specifically you is what is going to delight an audience. It's what's going to make them feel like they're getting to know you. And so because you've gotten good at telling those stories, the answer to your question is, yeah. Are you fully yourself when you tell that story that you've told 500 times? Well, I, it's not like the first time you told it, but you get, you keep honing how you tell it because you get reactions or you don't get reactions. And so 
that cocktail story gets better and better and better. And it's still you. So you're not betraying you, but it's a little bit polished, right? Because nobody wants to hear you search for words or stammer or say, um, 500 times. And that's what developing this concert over the last 20 years has been is like, you know, I'm now comfortable enough and I know the signposts I need to get to, to set up this next song. But within that framework, I might say something wacky and new each night, which always makes my accompanist laugh. And if it gets a particularly good laugh, well, then I keep it. <laughs> so is that what, what a great segue. Is that what we're going to, uh, what we can expect from your concert series that's, that's being launched, the Disney Princess, the concert? Yes. So this Disney Princess, the concert came out of Broadway Princess Party, which was an idea of Benjamin Rauhala and Laura Osnes. Laura was Broadway's Cinderella in the last revival of the Rodgers and Hammerstein show. And there were so many princess shows on Broadway and they thought, wouldn't it be kooky if we did like one of those princess tea parties? It came from the cruise ship. (laughs) Benjamin had been on the Disney cruise line with Jeremy Jordan, and they both thought it would be a riot if they went to the princess like brunch, right? And they met all the princesses and Benji's looking around going, all these shows are on Broadway right now. Like, what if we got, I know all these girls, like what if we got them all together at 54 Below on a Monday night and did a show? So it's be this one-off. And of course it was, it was a joy. It was a riot. It was Broadway princess party, right? And um, everybody had such a good time and they did it, you know, time and time again at 54 Below, always with the cast changing. And they finally were invited to do it outside of the city in Orange County. And I happen to live in Orange County. So they thought, well, that's one flight we don't have to buy. And that was really my first time working with Benji and Laura. And then Courtney Reed, the original Jasmine was, was in that weekend as well. And we just clicked. Something happened because First of all, I love these women and I love Benji, but also Benji's like, you guys were the three originals. Like there was something kind of interesting about that. Our stories had a little bit more weight. What was it like at that costume fitting for Laura with that dress that was going to transition into the ball gown? Do you know what happened when the magic carpet just would not work, you know, and Courtney's stuck on stage in front of an audience with a broken down carpet? Like what happens, you know? What happens when the beast pulls off your wig? Like, these are the stories. These are our cocktail stories. But now we had an opportunity to tell them on stage, um, married with this amazing music. So we started touring that for like three years and we kept growing our roster um, of different women coming in. And this last year we brought in Aisha Jackson um, uh, as as a fourth. We really always just felt like three wasn't enough. Um, And we wanted symmetry on stage. And she's incredible and has such a, an amazing story of being the first Black woman to play Anna in Frozen on Broadway. And ultimately, we're doing these clubs around the country and these symphonies, which is how I really make my bread and butter money. Um, we're like, you know, if you got the rights to do this with charts, we would do this. I'm like, oh, gosh, now I have to call Disney. <laughs> And I call Disney a lot to rent charts, but like maybe one or two for symphony concerts, not 26. So when I made that phone call, we really just thought like, we've had a good run and they're going to go, that's cute. Now stop. Um, But actually they already had the ultimate princess celebration um, in a a year and a half away. They're like, we're going to do this thing. We need a live concert. We're constantly asked about a princess concert. We don't have the bandwidth to produce it. We've seen all your clips. We had 20 million hits on YouTube. They're like, we love what you're already doing. Do you think that we can just combine our efforts and create a show that would be under the Disney handle? And we're like, 
Um, gosh, that's pretty much our dream come true. So I think we could do that. And so we've spent the last you know year and a half putting that together. Um, and what it means for us is that this little, you know, uh, Benj wrote this in our press release last week, but it's like this little frock, this lovely little party frock that we had. We always hoped that it would turn into that magical ball gown. And, and that's what's happened. We have the animation behind us. We have the orchestrations. We have the special effects. And we have the ability now with the Disney name to play theaters that bring thousands of people instead of hundreds of people. And so we get to spread that joy wider. And I think especially coming out of COVID, you know, this is something you can do with your family. It's something you can do with your significant other. It's, you know, those students who have been zooming into their musical theater classes can come to this show. It's really for everybody. And we all just love on these characters together. People come fully dressed up in costume. They're singing along with us. It still has that party celebration aspect, but now it has all the magic that, you know, Disney provides. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. I, I was on your website. So, uh, you know, I see that you're coming to St. Petersburg, which is near me. So that's where we'll be joining you. But I our also first see- week. you're going to see our first week of shows <laughs> in November. I know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about Terrence Mann as a as a young male dancer, I was looking up to, you know, people like Terrence Mann and Rum Tum Tugger and, you know, and, you know, Tommy Toon, like those, you know, Gene Kelly, those were those were my role models but you and your cast are so many people's role models and they aspire to, to be and to perform and look up to you. And, and I saw on your website, the opportunity to come to your shows, but also to meet you all backstage. So I encourage everyone to, to check out the website. We'll link it in the show notes, some amazing packages to meet you, the rest of the cast backstage and, and to really take part in it. And I, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so happy and thrilled for you and the entire team and getting this off the ground and being able to finally announce it. So congratulations on everything. Thank you. We are over the moon and to be, you know, my business partners are Benji, Laura, and Courtney. And, you know, we've been working together now for five years and it's just a testament to um, how performers can support one another, that we are not in competition with each other, that my success begets your success and your success reflects on my success. And, and there's that pie is not limited. If somebody gets a piece of success, it's, they're not taken away from you. They're just creating more opportunity for you. And I think in our industry right now, if we can really focus on that and you should help your friend audition for their show and you should celebrate when they get that job because now they're out of the running for the next audition that you're going to get. And, um, and, and they're going to help you. And then I would also say this, if you are experiencing success, if you have got, had the chance to walk through that door, open it wider, put your hands back through that door and grab as many people as you can and pull them through that door with you because success comes and goes, but that support team will help you. The last thing I ever thought I would do in my fifties is relive my princess glory days. And Benjamin Rahala reached through that door and grabbed me and pulled me through it. And I am experiencing a level of success right now that it's been a while because I took a lot of time off to be a mom and I didn't think I would be doing this again. And yet I was the girl on stage when he was six and saw Beauty and the Beast, you know, and wanted to go home and learn how to play piano because of it. So it's like, I guess I reached the door and pulled him and now he's reached through the door to pull me. And that's what life is. So really support one another. That is how you will have a long career.
that is how you will have more successes than failures. I love that. And with that, Susan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We're going to put your link in the show notes for everybody to check out. And I, I wish you all the best. And I can't wait to see you in November in St. Petersburg. Thanks, Christian. <laughs> if you need music for an audition or a voice lesson, Performer Stuff's got you covered. PerformerStuff.com offers not only full music sheets, but also 32-bar and 16-bar cuts pre-selected by our on-staff music directors with an intro and easy-to-read sheet for your accompanist. If you need some help practicing, you can download an audition bundle with the sheet music, a vocal lead, and practice track. Plus, the audio on the track matches the sheet music, so you can walk into your audition knowing exactly what to expect. As always, our search feature makes it easy for you to find what you're looking for. So when you need music, come check us out at performerstaff.com. Susan Egan, everybody. Amazing. You might want to listen to this episode again. With all her experience, she's dropping some real value bombs on you. So I hope you took some notes, share this episode, listen with your friends, listen with a teacher. Some great advice coming from the amazing Susan Egan. I have personally seen Susan Egan in her solo concerts. I have seen Broadway Princess Party. I cannot wait for this concert. I cannot wait to go in November check out the website, DisneyPrincessConcert.com. 84 cities, it's coming somewhere near you. It's funny, it's heartfelt, amazing music. I cannot wait and neither should you. So make sure you're checking out this concert and make sure you're subscribing to this because we have more episodes with these phenomenal Broadway leading ladies coming your way. So join us next week when Princess Month continues.